This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Welcome to episode 67. We are back. It is September. We've got new episodes coming and... I have been dying to start releasing these to all of you, so I'm really excited to get started today. My guest today is Scott Stubiel, whose book Big Love is released today. So I hope you will run out and grab it, which I'm sure you will be inspired to do after hearing from Scott. One thing that I think is important to know before we get started, we allude a lot to Scott's early life um, at the beginning of the episode, but I wanted to share a little bit more from his bio. Um, On his site, he says that 15 years ago, a friend asked him what he wanted to do with his life, and he told him he wanted to spread as much love as possible, and he still feels that way. And I think he has a lot of authority to share how it's possible to stay connected to love because when he was 14, his parents were shot to death in Detroit in the store that they owned. And then several years later, his oldest brother OD'd on heroin. So having grown up in a really challenging situation, Scott has been able to really connect to vulnerability, what it's like to really face your demons and come out on the other side. So I really, really enjoyed uh, reading the book and I enjoyed speaking to Scott so much after having read it. So I hope that you will get as much out of this conversation that I did. And I'm so excited to have a new episode for you today. Enjoy Scott and episode 67. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Caroline. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So your book is out this month at the time that people are listening, September. September 7th. September 7th. (laughs) Yes. At what point did you know it was going to be September 7th? Do you like have September 7th tattooed somewhere and you're like, that's the day? You know, it's it's funny you ask that because it was a bit of a back and forth. But a few months ago, I met uh, the uh, the publisher's New World Library, and they're based in Marin County, California, which is north of San Francisco. They're based in Novato, and I've I had been doing everything you know via phone and email with my editor and with the publicist there, and I finally met them a few months ago in person, live and in person, um, when I was in California. And so I sat down with the publicist and one of the directors of the publishing house and we were sitting and we were just really just lobbing dates out. And the publicist is like, let's just say September 7th, which is after it's the week after Labor Day. But typically books come out on a Tuesday and mine is actually being announced for a Thursday because Tuesday felt a little bit too close to Labor Day and Thursday's a few more days out. And and honestly, I just trust their instincts around this. So and Amazon is going to be sending the from what I understand with Amazon, you may know this already. They don't really honor publishing dates at all. So you list your publishing date. But as soon as Amazon gets the books in the warehouse, they send them to the people who've pre-ordered them. So uh, people are going to be getting their books very soon. I don't know when this is airing, but it's not yet September 7th. But it's like imminent. You're like in the moment that we're speaking. It's sort of this imminent. Oh, completely. The Kindle version is out in days on Amazon. Wow. Already. Yeah. So it's crazy. I'm I'm in this like excited slash overwhelmed, nervous, crazy rush of feeling and emotion right now. 
Yeah, so how does it feel? I mean, this is material that you have shared with the public before, but I don't think it's probably in as much depth as you have in the book. Am I right? You're partly right. I mean, some of it is stuff that I've shared with my social media community, predominantly on Facebook before. But much of it, you know, some of the chapters, there are 18 essays, basically, in the book, personal essays. And probably a third of them began as much smaller Facebook posts. So there's a taste of what I've shared, you know, that's been presented, but not to, not even close to this depth of sharing. And there's plenty of stuff I've never shared in the book. And so when you ask me, how does it feel? I, the excitement about a book coming out is, is palpable. I'm super excited. And at the same time, the book is so personal and, I reveal so much about myself that that's where the nerves are. It, it, I knew going in, this is I wanted the book to be incredibly personal, and in part because I, I really one of the messages I really try to communicate is that we don't have to feel shame about our stories. We don't have to feel shame about how we were raised, who we are, how we choose to show up in this world. And I knew that in order to communicate that message, I needed to be as honest as possible in the book. Um, at the same time, I'm freaking out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like laying your soul bare for the public to read. And um, so it's kind of emotional and a little bit overwhelming, but also really exciting. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I think one of the things that you talked about early on in the book was sort of starting to share some things on Facebook and people saying, well, not everybody is as happy all the time. And then, you know, you saying, well, I can share some dark shit if you want, you know, and <laughs> getting more into that. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading was these suggestions that you give or sort of ways to look at life. I think a lot of times when I've been in a situation where somebody's been giving that kind of advice, I sort of feel like back off, you don't know my life. But in your situation with the stories that you share, I'm like, okay, I'll take his advice. <laughs> like he's he has had more deep shit happen in his life than I have, so I am definitely listening. And if this works for him, I am very certain that it will probably work for my little white wine situation. <laughs> <laughs> that's too I mean that's funny but it, it actually is it, the point you're bringing up I think is an important point and it's just that I really believe that we're we all can connect to the same types of human craziness and insanity and nonsense and bullshit that goes on naturally in all of our minds and in all of our lives and you know you may not know my exact grief that I went through by my experience, but you certainly know grief, you certainly know your own, and you, you certainly know your own rage, and you know your own love and your own compassion. And we can always meet each other from that place. And I think you brought up, you mentioned how somebody on my page um, said, you know, not everyone's as happy as you are all the time. And it was actually a comment that really upset me because at the time, my Facebook page, this was in its early, its early days, about five years ago. Um, I, my point of the page was to be this just total Pollyanna. This was going to be a space of positivity. People were going to come and I would put, you know, put a meme out every day and it was going to make people smile. And this one woman received it in a completely different way because ultimately Pollyannas are really annoying. <laughs> you know, it's like, because nobody is always that happy. That's not real. You know, it's just not real. So she, her comment was basically like, some of us are really struggling out here, Scott. 
And that was really a catalyst for me to start sharing uh, quite a bit more about myself, you know, rather than just posting positive, happy-go-lucky things, which I post a lot of that too, because that's in part my nature. And I believe that um, as much as negativity is a part of life, positivity is also a part of life and an important part. So, but along with that, I started sharing my insecurities and my fears and my, my life, the pain of the painful elements of my life. And I felt like the community on my Facebook page and the energy of the page shifted a lot um, once I started doing that because people were then responding like, uh, thank you. I, it's good to know I'm not alone. I feel you. And it, it just it made it feel a bit more like a community there, you know, and a bit more open and a bit more honest. And I think there's great value in that. And that's really what I tried to do with Big Love is just to put it all out there. You know, because we're all experiencing all of it in our own way. So it's fascinating to me. And as somebody who's done a lot of personal work, I feel like I can ask you this question, um, which is basically like, it so fascinates me the way our minds work as creative people and putting stuff out that's vulnerable and, and the way the critic works in particular, that despite having had this experience where you put all of this very positive stuff that was like really great and then somebody said, we want more vulnerability and you gave it, got an amazing positive response. There's still like, ah, going on about putting this book out, which has even more kind of depths of vulnerability. So I'm wondering if you can share, like, what are some of the fears or anxieties going through your mind as you're kind of on the eve of publishing this book? Because I'm sure many people listening will relate. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one, I think anytime, I think vulnerability is a critical component of of leading a more meaningful life because it invites a different level of connection in general. And I think that we're, anytime we're operating in a space of vulnerability, it's uncomfortable. I mean, that's kind of the nature of being vulnerable. We're, we're stepping outside of our comfort zones. We're putting ourselves out there in a different way. We're opening up. So that's very rarely, I think, an experience where we're like, yeah, you know, like I'm feeling great about being totally vulnerable and exposed. Um, but it is powerful and beautiful. And I, and to answer your question about fears, I have ba basic fear is that my, my writing sucks and people are going to hate the book. So that is, that's one fear, but it, that is a very real fear, even though I understand that, I mean, that's what our critic does. That's as I know that there are a lot of people working on who are writers listening to this podcast and working on their own projects. And I think anybody, any creative who's working on anything knows the critic that tells you that you suck at what you're doing and that there are a, a million people more talented than you and that what you have to share is not going to be received well because you're a fraud. So I think in my experience, that's a pretty natural voice for creative types who are putting their work out there into the world, even if they're not putting their work out there. So that's one of the fears is just how is my writing going to be received? You know, um, another fear is uh, the fear of being judged for who I am. You know, I'm sharing, I'm sharing who I am in this book. I'm sharing like the asshole that I can be to like the super sweet, nice guy that I can be, you know, like the, the full spectrum that I believe all of us have inside from the ugliest to the most beautiful. Um, but there's a fear of being judged for being honest about yourself and who you are. 
I mean, I would say those are the those are pretty much I was going to say there's the fear of being condemned, but that's kind of the same thing as being judged. There's the fear of the book failing, Mm. you know, aside from people not responding to my writing, just the idea that the book might just be, you know, released to the market and just be a flop. The truth is that fear isn't as big as the other two right now. Like I want I I would love for this book to be successful, obviously, in terms of it selling a lot of copies. but even um, um, amongst the fears that I named, I feel really good about this book. Like I feel like I've put something out there that is reflective of my heart. I feel like the intention was to, the main intention was to give something to people that might make them consider um, choosing love more often than not in their lives, in their choices that they make. And, um, yeah, I feel like I've been talking. Now I feel I've been talking <laughs> a long time. You say something. <laughs> I can say something. Well, I think I'm happy to. No, I I think that's true. I mean, I think all of those fears are really, really right on. One thing that made me think about, and this is a really weird, I feel like I say this once every episode, like this is a really weird thing I'm about to say, but given that you're from Michigan, um, did you see 8 Mile? I did see 8 Mile years ago. Yeah. So do you remember, it reminded me of something that you said in the book about like owning and speaking out about your vulnerability kind of makes you feel stronger in in it. And there's a little bit of, in like a loving kind of friendly quality, there's a little bit, there's like a part in 8 Mile when he goes up to compete and all this horrible stuff has happened to him and like his girlfriend has cheated on him and he's just like, and he just runs down the whole list and it's like, yeah, he did screw my girl, whatever, like what else you got to say about me? And the guy just can't say anything. Yeah. And um, there was a, but that was a very aggressive, obviously, example of that. But there was something about the way that your book was like, yeah, I used to wear a baseball cap all the time. And I was afraid of this. And I was afraid of that. And this happened. But like, this is how I dealt with it. That was a little bit like, what's anybody going to critique at this point? Because you've been so honest and upfront about who you are. I always feel that way about memoir. Like when everybody tries to critique a memoir, I'm like, but that's their experience. Like, what are you saying? It wasn't their experience? Right. And I mean, the thing uh, to to what you're saying, I think that because what comes up for me is the idea of shame and how much shame we carry about our life experiences and our in our lives in general on so many different levels and learning in my life that shame functions in secrecy. That's where it's strongest. You know, it holds we hold our secrets because we're ashamed of them. And then the shame inside grows because we're keeping them secret. And what I've learned in my life time and time and time again is that the moment you announce your shame, the power it carries dissipates. And it really does become much easier to announce those things you feel shame about. You referenced my baseball cap, and for people who haven't read the book, they're probably like, what is she talking about? Baseball caps are a classic shame situation. I don't know if all of you know this, but this is textbook. Textbook shame, but I'm a bald guy and I lost my hair early and I was started losing it in college and that was the greatest horror in my life at the time and I lived through college under my baseball cap because I was so ashamed of people discovering that I was balding because I felt like they would judge me and I felt like that was weak and they would see me as ugly and all of these different things. So I literally functioned 24-7 for a few years around the clock under a baseball cap and 
the miracle of those things is that you, you take off your baseball cap or whatever it is that you feel shame about in your life, um, it releases. And suddenly this thing that you felt was like the most horror. And that's a, that sounds like a small example. But to me at the time as a 20-year-old, a balding 20-year-old at a big university, there was that was the thing I was most self-conscious about. It was a traumatic experience for me at the time. and um, But it releases and you find that this thing that you've built up as the greatest horror isn't really that big of a deal. And then you remind yourself that like, people don't really give a shit. Like people are not paying attention to you nearly as much as you think they are. Like they're so consumed in their own lives and their own drama and their own shame that like they're not really giving that much attention to what you're dealing with and going through. And there's a freedom in understanding that as well. I know. What a relief. I also think you, you look great as a bald guy. No one can see this, but I mean, I think it really suits you. Well, thank you. I've been bald for a long time now, so I'm, yeah. I'm okay. You've yeah. like completely settled in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, it is amazing. There's just this whole thing about like, oh my God, if this ever happened, I would self-destruct and explode. And if you're lucky enough to go through the thing that you think that's the case and then learn that you don't self-destruct and explode, it's it's really helpful. It's really helpful. Yeah. And I want to I wanna say something to what you were bringing up earlier as well about fear, because my experience in writing the book was also an extremely fearful venture, you know, because the moment I got the book deal, it was like, it was maybe a half an hour of elation and excitement and, oh, my God, I have a book deal. And then that shifts into, oh, my God, I have to write this book. Do you know what I mean? Like I have to now yeah. produce this thing. And the editor's really excited about my the three chapters I sent in the proposal. But now I have to build a whole book out of it. And what I found was that every day showing up at the computer was it was an exercise in just moving forward with your fear because my experience is that fear does not disappear not just not just in terms of creativity but in terms of any area of life like fear is always showing up as well and what i've done so often in my life has been to allow fear to be the bully to be the tyrant and to dictate my action my fear says no you're going to be rejected don't do it so i wouldn't do it um, and what I've learned and what I've been doing, especially in the past few years, creatively speaking, because I've been putting myself out there so much creatively, is just like, hey, fear's always going to show up. We don't have to get to a point of fearlessness before we move forward because we're never going to get to a point of fearlessness. If we're waiting for that as a marker to move forward, we're never going to move forward. So every day I showed up at the computer scared. Every day I showed up thinking I'm not going to have anything to say. It's going to suck. But every day I showed up and worked and every, you know, I showed up and worked on the book. And what I found happening was that my fear kind of finally accepted it. I say in Big Love, like action assuages fear. And I really believe that. Like when you're sitting down to do that thing you're afraid to do, it's very hard for your fear to tell you you can't do it because you're already in the process of doing it. You know, I was showing my fear every day. Like, I can write this book. I'm writing this book. This is happening, regardless of what you have to say. And in in terms of fear, I, I just also like to say that I have a very different relationship with my fear than I've ever had. You know, I don't, I don't fight it in the same way. I, I, I view it as an annoying kind of five-year-old brother more than a, a dictator bully and the kind of brother that I can be like, okay, I hear what you're saying. Now go play in the corner with the ball. You know, you can kind of shoo the fear away. And it's, 
it's created, I have a different response because of the, the different kind of relationship I've created with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I want to know, like, just let's slow this down really slow. <laughs> so you're, you're getting up, you're like, I'm going to write today. I'm feeling a little freaked out. Like, you, do you just sit down and start typing? Like, what little things did you do in the moment? Did you breathe? Like, I, I'm very curious about how you got to the point where, like, the fear could be shooed off into the corner, because I think that would be helpful for people to have in their toolbox, so to speak. Sure, sure. Well, I'll say first that, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not the kind of writer who is someone who sits down every day to write no matter what for a chunk of hours and gets his butt in the chair. However, when I'm working on projects, I'm absolutely that kind of writer. So I had a deadline that was incredibly helpful to know that this was, this was not just about me doing something casually on my own timeline. This was about me delivering something to an editor who's expecting it at a specific time. So I, for me, writing, writing Big Love, it was very helpful for me to have a schedule because once I do kind of, once I do block out specific writing times in that way and get into a flow of like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to write for at least two to three hours in the morning. I'm going to have lunch. I usually take a nap and then write for a couple hours in the afternoon. And I was doing that day after day. So for me, routine really helps, especially on deadline. I mean, that's one thing. And then you, because my experience is that there is power in showing up. There is, I believe everything is energy. So simply by showing up at your computer to write, you are saying that whatever it is you're working on is worthy of your time and is worthy of your commitment. And there is an energy in that. And eventually, if it's not day one, um, you are going to start writing something. You know, you, you want, once you sit your butt in the seat to write, even if you're staring at a blank screen, which there were days I was, would stare at a blank screen even after days of, of being in the flow. But I know that there's, there's value in that too because I'm showing up to work. And I think you could, maybe you can relate to that. Like anytime we're showing up as a writer to our computer or to our pad, however we're writing, we are showing up to create something, even if we're not successful in creation on a specific day, the energy of that intention and commitment is still incredibly successful and means something. Um, I, some, I wouldn't say I had a specific routine in terms of like, I would always do five minutes of breathing or a 15 minute meditation, but that's just me. I think that that stuff is great. You know, I write a lot about self care in general and the way we take care of ourselves. And I think as creatives, it's always important to consider that in terms of not only how we take care of ourselves as human beings, but how we take care of ourselves as creative people. And I think the trick is figuring out what works for you. You know, if Caroline, for you, a 15 minute meditation is something that really settles you in to a writing routine, then I would say, do your 15 minute meditation. You know what I mean? If it's a walk around the block, if it's a hot cup of tea, if it's a bath, if it's dancing around like crazy in your apartment, you know, it's up to us to figure out what we can do to take care of ourselves and then actually follow that up with doing those things. Definitely. I mean, I think the thing that amazes me the most is the ways in which we criticize ourselves for the things that work. You know, it's <laughs> like these things are working. Or I think about people who, um, play around with dictating 
things into their, you know, instead of typing or like handwriting versus typing. And then, I mean, never in my life have I ever heard somebody say, oh, I bet, I bet they dictated that book into their iPhone, you know, like some novel on the shelf, like nobody knows, nobody cares. Or I bet they drank tea before they wrote that. Or I bet they wrote that in a coffee shop. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's amazing. It doesn't matter. And, and also, you know, I, I heard Cheryl Strayed, whom I love as a writer and human being. I've never met her, but I mean, from what I see. In I, don't know, I wouldn't be surprised she... based on your book blurbs. Your book blurbs are amazing. Oh, I was psyched about the book blurbs. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, I'm so happy about Cheryl that. Cheryl Strayed would be grateful. right at home with those book blurbs. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, she, you know, she, I remember her talking about her, they were asking about her writing process and she was just like, look, I don't, I go months without writing a word. And I used to feel really guilty about that. Like I wasn't a real writer because I'm not always showing up at 8am at the computer to, you know, write. And she's like, that's just my rhythm. And I, and I think to what you're saying, it's like, whatever we create for ourselves is our way of doing things that works for us. That's all that matters. It doesn't have to work for anybody but you. You know what I mean? And um, and it's important to honor that. And we, I find that we're we will tend to be much more, much more productive and much freer in what we're creating. I think when we honor the the different ways that I don't even know how, know how I was going to end that sentence, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the different ways we do this. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I think the thing too is. That, you know, you're, you're just kind of unraveling things as you're engaging with them. So, and sometimes the things that you're unraveling, especially with the stuff that you were writing about are scary. And even if you've started to get into them, I mean, some of the scariness is about the process of writing. Some of it is about visibility, but some of it's about like the subject matter itself. So I'm interested in how was it to go into some of these things, which I think were probably challenging to write about in the first place, and then to go even further into them? How did that change your relationship to those memories or those experiences themselves? I mean, it was emotional, honestly. That's the main the main response I would have is talking about, I mean, some of, some of what you're alluding to is the fact that I, you know, I lost my parents to murder when I was 14, which is obviously a highly traumatic and emotional experience. So, and I, two of the chapters of the book, I deal with that from different angles. And then also lost my brother to heroin overdose. And, um, you know, I, I'm a believer in writing in general as a tool for healing and for processing our pain and for, um, it's, it served me hugely in my life, just journal writing, just getting it all down, just vomiting the emotions and the feelings. So, so I knew it would be beneficial to write about these things, even in the context of putting them as chapters in a book. At the same time, the difference between, you know, the chapters in Big Love and a journal entry is you have to, you have to finesse the chapter a bit more. You have to make it more of a, a story. And, you know, you're, you're, you're creating something that has to flow in a different way. And as opposed to like a stream of consciousness journal entry, which I think in some ways, in some ways releases some of the emotional impact of what you're doing, because you're also crafting something, if that makes sense, rather than just vomiting out your emotions um, it's still very emotional, but you're also bringing um, you're you're bringing kind of an intellect to like 
crafting it so it's a it's a chapter that makes sense to the reader and it's it's flowing and functioning the way a chapter should um but it's been you know one of the reasons i've been really nervous lately about the book too is my i my family is specifically my three sisters who've all read it recently they're you know they're having an emotional time with this book being out there it's a, a very strange thing it's it's strange for me to put my life out there but I've been doing that on social media for years now, but it's strange for them to have stuff about our family being put out there in the way that I have done it. So it's added to my nervousness and just the weight of, of the book. And, you know, it would be weird. It's weird to, you know, for my, my son to talk. They've been so supportive, though. I, I want to make that very so, so supportive and excited also. But I understand in talking to my one sister, and she's just like, it's just so strange that to see uh, the story of our parents in writing like this and and her saying like I'm not I don't really want people asking me questions about this like I don't want people to come up and discuss this with me and it's you know it's awkward it's it's a strange kind of thing it's a strange place to put your family in even though I'm not talking about them specifically, it's not, I'm not outing any of my family in terms of their quirks and whatever. It's nothing like that, but it's just our, our family history. Right. And it's, you know, whether or not they would have told somebody that, I mean, it, and there is a certain um, permission that people feel once the story is public to kind of take possession of it in their own way. I, I recently read Speaking of another writer who's put a lot of his family history out there, um, David Sedaris's journals and another possessor of many sisters. Um, and, and hearing about how people felt like it was okay. This is amazing. I'm like, we all have cell phones now. This would never happen. But people would call him on the phone and be like, I don't know how I feel about this essay. And he would sit there and talk to them. It was just astonishing to me. And I'm like, just strangers or yeah, people he total knew? strangers. <laughs> Looked him oh, up in the phone book and called him on the phone to talk to him wow. about these essays he had written. Wow. So I'm like, and he would actually engage. Yeah, he was like, well, I don't really know. I mean, he wrote these journal entries that were like, I was on the phone for two hours. I just didn't know how to get out of it. And uh, I was like, wow, he's so generous. I would have been like, I got to go. But yeah. at least you don't have to worry about that happening. And no, no, there's no. a certain I'm, amount of remove that we can all control, but it is, it's something when, yeah, you, there's, I'm assuming a, a huge responsibility of like, I'm sort of the shepherd of this story and making this a story for more people than it has been up to this point. Absolutely. And also recognizing I sat with uh, uh, one of my other sisters and, you know, one of the chapters is about my brother who was addicted to heroin my entire life because he's 18 years older than I. And as far as anyone knows, he, he got into his addiction around the time that he was 18. So my entire relation, and he was out of the house, you know, by the time I was born, my entire relationship with my brother was built around his addiction to heroin. And I was talking with my sister who read the chapter who grew up with him in a completely different way as a brother. Like they played and they hung out. And then as even as adults, they like hung out and did things. And so for her, she was just struck by how, you know, if had she written the chapter about my brother, it would have been entirely different. And any of my siblings, we could all talk, speak to the exact same 
circumstance, but we would all be coming at it from completely different angles, given our age at the time and the, the relationship we had with the people involved. And um, so I'm really just, I'm just giving my experience. That's all I can give is what it was like in terms of my brother, what it was like for me growing up with a brother addicted to heroin, you know, who eventually died from a heroin overdose. Um, and that's all I can really offer. And I think that's something that my sisters did ultimately really appreciate is they're, they're like, you're, you're sharing your, this is your testimony to your experience of your life, you know, and they get that. And, uh, I'm thankful that they, they get that within it all. Yeah. And it's, even beyond them having a different perspective, the fact that you're writing it now versus, you know, five years ago or 10 years from now, that might be completely different as well. I mean, this is what amuses me about this kind of question of truth in Definitely. nonfiction or memoir is like there can only be a version of the truth depending on who's telling it or when they're telling it or how or under what circumstances. A thousand percent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're absolutely right. But I think that makes it, you know, that means you've just got more books. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably like, leave me alone. This one has just come out. But, no. <laughs> but I mean, do you feel like, ooh, because as somebody who's written quite prolifically on, you know, Facebook and, you know, in a different format, but like that was a, you're doing that really regularly. Like, do you miss working on the book? Do you feel like I'm kind of into doing this again or like, oh, I need some time? No, need some time. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> and I, mean like, I, please. I think, yeah, I think we were. I think final edits were done by sometime in February. So there's been a chunk of of months, but I still haven't had an urge to write anything of significance. Not really, honestly, and I'm okay with that. You know, and now the book is just about to come out, so I'm you know going to be going on tour and. I feel like the my energy is is really all about big love right now. How do you um, how that, do you feel about the tour? Like where are you going and and how is that going to go? Cuz I I know like writing could not be more private up until the point that the book comes out. And then you're like suddenly like you're an extrovert, right? Like yeah. go for it. Like for like 6 months, right? You're going to talk to everybody yeah. all the time and you're like what? Yeah, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I'm excited about the tour. I've come to discover that I, as an adult, that I'm definitely an extroverted introvert, but I, my introvert tendencies seem to be stronger with every year that passes. So there's, um, you know, I'm not the, I would say I'm not the biggest fan of being the center of attention in that way. Like I can do a Facebook live video virtually no problem I do a lot of those and I'm the only one talking because that's how Facebook live works and that's that's fine um I threw myself a book tour for my the book that I self-published a couple years ago called Just Love so it won't be a complete shock to the system um and I love my favorite way more than writing my favorite thing to do is to connect with people in real life like that's all really how I like to spend my time so I'm excited about all those things as far as the tour. Um, but it's overwhelming. You know, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, when I threw myself a tour a couple years ago, at one of those places, two people came, <laughs> you know what I mean? At one place, one person. So it wasn't that, that what was overwhelming in those moments was the part of my mind. That's like, you're a total massive failure and loser. And this was a very flawed, you know, th thing. Um, but you gotta get, you know, you have to work, get through all that stuff anyway. And I, I don't expect, that this tour is going to be exactly that way. So 
it's it's a lot of I think it's a lot of energy, but it's also like really awesome. Like I'm going to be going to some really cool bookstores and talking or maybe reading a piece from the book and answering questions and just connecting with people, many of whom I'm sure are people that write comments on my Facebook page whom I've never met. And that's really exciting too, you know, to meet them live and in person. So I'm excited. And where am I going? I'll tell you yeah, since you asked. I yeah, did. To the, to the, right now, all that's really locked in mostly our West Coast states. So LA and then a couple of Bay Area spots and then Seattle, Portland and Vancouver. Are you going to Powell's? No, to, they said no to me. <laughs> Powell's. Yeah, they passed. Oh I don't my know God, why. it's not I like mean, they don't have room. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm not, you know, I'm not big enough for Powell's. Next so. time. Big Next love. Time. Big love isn't big enough for Powell's. Bastards. You naughty, but, naughty um, people. But, and then uh, Vegas and then uh, Boston. Oh, which and one Michigan. in Vegas? Are you going to the um, doing, writer's doing block? The, no, I'm doing. They're going to be. They're going to be selling the books, but I'm doing an event at the um, Lesbian Gay Center in Vegas, awesome. the LGBT Center. Yeah, and I'm actually really excited about I that. I love Writer's Block. It's the I've best. I've never been. Oh my god, you got to go to the store. It's so bit. good. Yeah, for sure will. Yeah, I'm super excited about that too. So yeah, and launching in Ann Arbor. Awesome. Michigan, which is where I am. Yeah. yeah. So. So fun. Yeah, no, I think it's it's just a whole thing like going out in the world and here's the book and oh my God, this is happening. Yeah. I think I always think about that too because it's like you're putting kind of book authors outside their natural habitat and like seeing what happens. <laughs> it almost, totally. I'm like, why do we do this to authors? Because I mean, uh, all the people who like books are in a bookstore, but you think about like, with painters you have like studio visits and everybody goes to see them like wouldn't it be fun if we had like studio visits for writers like see this is where i sit and type and isn't this nice and i don't have to go anywhere and then you all come by and then you go home it's great no we don't do that we make writers go out and schlep all over the place <laughs> i i think actually i would prefer going than having like someone having crowds come to my house and fair enough but i, I think it, would... it isn't I guess because writers don't usually, I mean, uh, painters don't usually live in their studios. Totally. No, it's true. And, you know, I, w I was recently at the ALA, the American Library Association mm. uh, conference in Chicago. And it was, I was speaking with a light, which was awesome. It's all librarians. So I was speaking with a librarian. She said, this is, yeah, she said, this is such a strange conference because it's thousands of introverts all showing up for this very public, like, you know, conference where so it's very social and all of this. And she said, it's so funny to just watch everyone out of their comfort zone, basically trying to like make it happen. Lots of plaid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not a plaid and cardigans. I'm yeah, like, yes, totally, I need to totally. go to this. It sounds so good. No, the book events are always fascinating to me because of that. But it's like, you know, the bookstore, I guess, is, is in some ways the writer's habitat we all lurk around in there so going to bookstores for book events does make sense yeah it feels a little safer in bookstores for sure than than others they should <laughs> let writers like just hide in one of the aisles and have a little microphone <laughs> and be like you don't have to stand up at the front you could just like nobody really knows which one is talking and you're just back there like hey i'm ready to read now <laughs> i like that <laughs> i don't know i i've I used to work a bunch of events at Book Soup in Los Angeles. Um, so they I... said no to me too. Oh man! Yeah, I know they're tricky. I'm not there anymore. I I I got an author friend of mine into Romans in Pasadena because 
who owns Book Soup now, and I, I wrote this letter. It was like I was trying to get her a kidney. I was like, no, you will not say no to this book, and here's why. And I used to work at Book Soup, and I know how an event comes together. And I went on this whole time, and they totally said yes. And we, like, doubled the capacity of what they had for seats set oh up. So God. I was like, yes. That's so funny. It was so great. Yeah. No, it was very actually, I should say I'm super thrilled about the last bookstore, though. They're so great. They're so super, great. They're really lovely. Sense. And they have those amazing yeah. tunnels. And they're always on that, like, top 10 bookstores in the world on Pinterest things, you yeah. know. I've never been to the It's store. very cool. It's yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah it's fun. great. If you go upstairs, it's where those, like, there's, like, tunnels made out of books you can go through. And it's, like, a whole, it's almost like a like a theme park for book people in a way. Awesome. Maybe I'm playing it up too much. I don't know. I wish people could see you because I'm such a weirdo. I'm like doing weird hand gestures. I'm kind of doing like an elf through the forest crawling motion. Yeah. This is what happens when I talk about books. Yeah, I think if I um, ever get to the bookstore, uh, the book tour phase, I will just decide it's like a book tour vacation. Like, I'm just going to go to all the bookstores and see them. It's going to be yeah. super fun. Your favorite bookstores around the country. Oh, my God. Amazing. As long as they don't say no, you never know. <laughs> it's just this time. You know what? You're going to, they're going to, you're going to get through this and they're going to be like, oh, my God, we've got to get him in here. The big love guy. We got to get him in here. We'll see. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, how is but your I Facebook community? I I'm going to want to go to them after this. Yeah, I'm maybe not. You'll be like, sorry. Stores like super excited. I'm doing LA live now. It's too late. It's too late for you guys. I got like 20,000 people showing up. We can't fit in a bookstore. So awesome. What were you going to ask? You were asking. Oh, I was going to say, like, how is your Facebook community? Are they all like pumped up for this? They're, I mean, they seem to be. Yeah. They're like super excited. And uh, there's a, a launch team of 50 people who are, hel- so are going to help great. spread the word. And they're all reading the book now. Some of them have finished it. And they're going to, you know, they're going to help get the message out there. And everyone's been. My Facebook community is awesome. Like it's an incredible group of like supportive, open, loving people. And, you know, I've been talking, I was talking about the book as I was writing it and the process and the fears and stuff. So I feel like for a lot of them who've been following the process, it's like, finally, (laughs) this book is actually out. (laughs) We don't have to hear about it in God, you know, theoretically anymore. It's actually come to life. They sound like a warm, fuzzy, like, Greek chorus. Yes, totally. Which is awesome. I have to say, I mean, it's, I really credit the Facebook, I I really believe this book in part exists because of them. And I say that in part because I know that nowadays publishers are looking for authors to have platforms. And I was able to, to show up with a proposal and have you know a few hundred thousand followers on Facebook, and it made a difference. It made a profound oh, I'm difference. Sure, it did. So, and they've. It's just there. It's a it's a space I've gone to to share myself in different. And I was living in Panama for three and a half years until recently, and for a lot of that time felt fairly isolated. And I would really turn to the Facebook community as a way of connecting and the live videos, being able to connect in real time with people from all over the world. I mean, there were there were moments where it was like, it was a saving grace, truly. You know, I would do, do a live video and feel so just kind of like high after it you know and from the connection that comes from it so i i love what's gone on in you know in that community big time super grateful 
That's amazing. I think it's a good argument too for people who are scared, maybe who are more comfortable writing, but that you can connect with people who will really care about your book and will be excited for it to come out. And you could even, I mean, I imagine share things and be like, let's see how people respond to this. Maybe this will be a chapter, you know, and that it can be such a huge resource for a writer rather than something that's like one more thing you have to put on your to-do list. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think you can get into a, I mean, you can get into a flow with social media in how you, you know, in terms of feeling like you said a to-do list and feeling pressured to post however many times a day. I mean, it doesn't have to be like that. But from a from a creative and writing perspective, I think you're absolutely right that to get to get feedback, to get ideas, to you know interactions that happen on the Facebook community might spark certain things that you ultimately put into your book, and um, it's very very helpful. And just the support and energy, so you don't feel like once a book launches, you're out there on your own. I have to say, I'd also like to say my publisher, though New World Library, they're like off the charts fantastic and they have been so amazingly supportive and wonderful and uh so that's been a really positive experience for me too going from self-publishing to this has been it's been really really positive did you know you wanted to go with new world right away or was it a process finding them well my my friend agented the book for me and she sent it out uh to eight different houses and uh, New World and one other house, smaller house, gave uh, put in offers, and I I love New World. I've known about them for years. I used to live in the Bay Area, and I used to be the the manager of uh, the book section in a New Age gift store. So we were carrying New World Libraries books all the time, you know. And um, so I was really excited that, and they were also just so excited. You know, the editor who reached out to me was just like, I love your, I love these stories you know I love what you're doing and they've been that way the whole time and so I'm, I'm thrilled to be with them that's yeah. awesome I love yeah. the part about the about the new age shop having lived in the bay area myself I'm like I can I can smell the nug champa <laughs> totally there was always nug champa burning I, I worked on hate street so there was oh, always patchouli so on the much, streets yes and then inside it was nug champa in our store it was nug champa but you had to make it through like blocks of patchouli <laughs> yeah patchouli and like pee in the, <laughs> in exactly. the hay I used I lived in the hay briefly yeah <laughs> So I'm so thrilled we got to have this conversation. And I'm wondering if you have like one thing, if somebody's sitting out there having a freak out about like, should I write this book or not? I just feel like you're the one to ask, like, is there something you have to say to them? Well, yes, of course you should write the book. <laughs> if you want to. Don't, don't do know. it. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Could you imagine if that was Step my Step back. Final? Yeah, no. You have nothing to say of yeah. value. Oh no. my God. Yeah. I don't think these things... I don't think these things are should questions necessarily, but I would really look at like, why wouldn't you write the book? And mm. if the only answers you can come up with are rooted in some fear, fear of being judged, fear of failing, fear of this, fear of that, those are not good enough reasons not to do what you feel you want and need to do for yourself and for your creativity and for your life. So hell yes, absolutely write the book. And, and also in writing the book, recognize that like, that doesn't have to be go anywhere outside of your computer and your eyes. You know, you don't have to necessarily write it with the weight of it, the entire world seeing it, or even with one other set of eyes seeing it. 
you know, just write, just sit down and write what you are compelled to write and trust that it's going to totally contradict what I just said. But trust, <laughs> I mean, trust that if you do decide to share it, that what you have to share is going to resonate with exactly whom it's meant to resonate with. I really, really trust that about my message when my critic is going to town about you're not as good a writer as Cheryl Strait and all these other people, blah, 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 blah. What I really understand is that I'm not here to be Cheryl Strayed. I'm not here to be anyone but who I am in this world. And by by me sharing myself and by you, Caroline, sharing yourself and by whoever's listening, sharing herself for himself, you will connect with exactly who you're meant to connect with. And your message will impact whomever it's supposed to impact. And there's great value in that, you know. So, yes, yes write that damn story. Write your book. Write, write whatever it, it is you're Write it down. Yeah, I think there, there's a reason to write it. And even if that reason is you're just doing it for yourself, that's still a worthy reason. thousand percent. That's the worthiest reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Start there. And then once you finish it, be like, hmm, does anybody else need this too? Absolutely. Here, here. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about all this. And I'm so glad you're coming to the last bookstore. This is very exciting. Yay, yay. I hope I get to meet you in person. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on your wonderful podcast. I love it. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.